Friends, good morning. Again, my name is Sam. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Fifth. It is good to be with you. It is good to see you. I, I love uh, just being able to worship with the body of Christ. There's days where I don't necessarily want to be here, but yet when we lift Jesus' name high, we keep ourselves down here. God does something special. So thanks for being a part of that. So today we continue our series on the stories of Jesus. Jesus was a master storyteller and he used stories to convey his message. Many of his stories were known as parables, which he used to share the message of the kingdom of God and in our case, to share his expectations for his disciples, for those that follow him. He didn't just say a clear and concise statement like, give me your whole life, which would perfectly make sense in the passage that we will read. He shared stories. He shared stories that people could attach their hearts to, that people could find their place in so that they can recognize that they are involved in God's story, the greater story uh, we find in scripture. Today we're studying a passage in which Jesus is directly challenging the crowds that are following him. And you may think after hearing this passage that Jesus must have just woken up on the wrong side of the bed that day. Or maybe he's frustrated that he keeps hearing the disciples argue about who is the greatest among them. Jesus isn't just reacting to a situation here. Jesus has a plan. He has a method for how he leads people. He leads people forward. He leads his disciples forward out of complacency. And when he leads people forward, there is challenge involved. With that, I want to invite my friend Joey up here so we can read the scripture passage together. So friends, hear the word of the Lord from Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Let's see, I'll put this up here. So Joey, thank you. I want to say uh, specifically to 
young people here. I'll, I'll say young means high school and under. Um, thank you for pursuing faith. Thank you for uh, showing us really what it means to, to pursue Jesus. We older folk uh, get encouraged in our own faith walk when we see young people pursue Jesus. So we're just, we're thankful that we have young people here that can show us that. <clears throat> so large crowds were following Jesus. And at this point in time, the name Jesus of Nazareth was spreading all across Israel and people were drawn to him and people were multiplying around him. They just wanted to see what was going on. They wanted to hear his teaching. They wanted to see a miracle. And who can blame them? Jesus has taken the world by storm. He has stood up to the religious elite, the Pharisees. He has spoken truth to people that have never heard truth before. He has opened people's eyes to ancient scripture that has been there for thousands of years and he has taught it in a new way. He has forgiven people's sins, which only God can do. And he has healed people's bodies. He, he has brought the dead to life. And he has called his disciples to him instead of the normal way where disciples go and ask a rabbi, can I come follow you? So naturally, there are crowds around him wherever he goes because he's doing something new. He is proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come. And where crowds are gathered, many of us know when we're in great crowds, there is a buzz in the air. People want to see something great. You're watching somebody who has a supreme talent. Jesus, in this case, is the one that people are here to watch. He's the one that people are there to hear. And when this huge crowd gathered, everyone around Jesus wanting to see him, what does Jesus say? Does he tell this crowd, please go invite your friends, go invite your family. I want people to hear what I have to say. I want people to see what I can do. He does not say that. He doesn't want just more people. Success doesn't necessarily mean greater numbers. Jesus turned to this crowd and he looked at them and he said, I want more out of you. I don't want more of you in the crowd. I want more out of you. He called them to change. He called them to give their whole lives, especially if they desired to be his disciple. Jesus turned to this crowd and said in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus puts his foot in the ground and he reveals his expectations for all of his disciples. And he even says you have to hate the people that are close to you, even hate your life itself. We know that hate is a strong word, right? Many of us, when we think of Jesus, we don't think of hate. We think of love, grace, compassion, a wonderful teacher. We can't think that Jesus is telling us to hate the people close to us. In these situations, we have to remember who Jesus is. We have to remember God's character. And we have to recognize that Translations from Greek text to English text don't always work perfectly. So 
If there is one word in Greek, it doesn't always translate to just one word in English. The Greek word in this situation is meseo. Meseo is the word that's translated as hate. Hate, uh, excuse me, meseo can also mean to detest, but it can also mean to love less than somebody else. Jesus isn't telling this crowd to go home and tell their siblings, tell their parents that they are hated. He's telling them that the love they have for the people closest to them cannot compare to the love they have for Jesus. In fact, even loving Jesus helps us love our families even better. Jesus' disciples are to love him more than anybody else in the world. And loving Jesus is a next next level type of love. Loving Jesus means worshiping him. Means bowing down to him, getting on our knees in prayer when we have to. Doing what he says even though we don't want to do it. Aligning our whole lives according to his speaking about his love for all people and following every single one of his commands. Now, nobody else, as a follower of Jesus, nobody else should get that type of love, even the people close to us. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, I'm not just going to be a phase in your life. I want your whole life. Now come and see the life that I offer. Don't be like the builder who stops building halfway because they haven't prepared in advance for what the life of following Jesus entails. Don't be like the king who goes into war and then realizes they can't win this battle. Jesus then mentions that to be his disciple, a person must carry their cross and follow him. In this situation, The cross, when people heard that, they don't necessarily think of triumph over death. They don't necessarily think that Jesus would be the one to die on the cross, to take our sins with him, to give us freedom from sin. The cross in the Roman Empire is one of the most humiliating and shameful symbols. Those who died by crucifixion on the cross were slaves, criminals, non-Roman citizens. And many people who died on the cross would have their body kept there because the Romans didn't want Jewish people to receive the custom of burying the people that are close to them. And crosses were placed in public areas. They were placed in high traffic spaces. People would walk by on a main road in the Roman Empire and see bodies on crosses. There were times when people who were going to be crucified also had to carry one of the beams that they would eventually be crucified on. So literally carrying your cross is a shameful walk to your soon-to-be death. And here Jesus is telling people, pick up your cross and follow me. A person who is literally carrying their cross They would be seen by the crowds. This is not something that happens in secrecy. The crowds who also were listening to Jesus, many of them were Jewish people. So they would know somebody most likely that has died via crucifixion because Jewish people, when convicted of crimes, as non-Roman citizens would be crucified on crosses. Jesus is saying that if you are to follow me, I want your whole life until the day that you die. And as you carry your cross, this 
will not happen in secrecy. Others will know that you are my disciple. Others will know my name through your life. And Jesus continues his teaching by giving two different examples of his expectations for people following him. The first example is of a builder who desires to build a tall tower. And he says, anybody who wants to build a tower must first sit down, think about the tower they're about to build because it would be foolish to start building and recognize you don't have enough materials and you build only half of a tower. The next example is of a king going to war. And I think Jesus talks about war in this instance because as Christians, we are at war, not with other people, but we are at war with the devil itself. So Jesus is giving an example of war. He says, any king who is preparing to go into battle should first think about going into battle to make sure they can stand up against the enemy. Otherwise, their, their soldiers will be done. They, they stand no chance. It's better to first assess whether you can fight against this enemy. And if you can't, try to make a peace offering with this enemy. And in both of these examples, Jesus is mentioning his followers to think about before entering into action, think about what Jesus is expecting of his followers. Becoming a disciple of Jesus, of course, is Holy Spirit-led, and it is a huge decision. Becoming a follower of Jesus is the biggest and the best decision a person will ever make in their life. It's a bigger decision than choosing who to marry. It's a bigger decision than uh, where to live or what church to attend. Jesus tells the crowd, know what you're getting into prior to going out into the world, bearing my name, and to be honest, coming face to face with evil because that day will come. Jesus is telling the crowd to consider the cost of following him. He doesn't want his people to ride his coattails for a season and then once there's a great cost to leave. Those people are like salt without flavor, which can't even be used for the soil or even for a manure pile. Following Jesus is going all in on your life, knowing what he expects of us. Following Jesus is putting him first before anybody else. So what other relationship do we have in this world that represents two different people sharing a lifelong commitment to each other? A relationship where two different parties are loving each other unconditionally for their whole lives together. Of course, we know this relationship as marriage, an example that God has set before us. God makes so many connections throughout scripture between him and his people and a bride and the bridegroom. We are the church. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. We are in a covenant with Jesus. If you ask somebody to marry you, wouldn't you want them to go all in? How would you feel if they said, you know what? We're gonna be good for a few years, uh, but once things get really challenging, I'm gonna be out. So why would Jesus expect anything less than everything from his disciples? The expectation is that we give it all that we have. 
And this is one of the main reasons why Christians gather together because we can absolutely not do this on our own. When we gather together, we're reminded of who we are. We find strength in who Jesus is. We find strength in seeing other people pursue him. That is one of the reasons why we attend church on Sunday mornings. Not because we have to, but because we find strength in gathering as his people. And also when we find ourselves as salt without flavor, the church helps us regain our faith, helps us get back to being salt with flavor. One of the most challenging statements, of course, there's plenty of challenging statements in this passage. Uh, one of Jesus's most challenging statements is in verse 33. After sharing the two examples of the king going to war, the builder building a tower, he says this. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus has big expectations. He is challenging those that are wondering whether it's not, whether or not it's worth giving their lives to him. Now, if you're familiar with scripture, you know that there's times where Jesus leans in. He has compassion towards those that need it. Jesus stands next to the woman caught in adultery. Jesus puts his hand on the woman who is bleeding for 12 years and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. But there's also times for instance, where Jesus says to Peter, one of his disciples, get behind me, Satan. He challenges those that he loves in order for them to grow, to move forward. If you're somebody in here who, who doesn't want to be challenged, nobody's going to force you to give it all you have for Jesus in your life. And in fact, if somebody tries to do that, you're probably gonna not listen to these people. But my question is, how then will you grow in your faith? How then will we become more and more like Jesus? We have to be careful also when reading verses like this, verse 33. We can't simply just tear this verse out of scripture and use it to point the finger at other people. If you have possessions in your life, Jesus is not upset with you. That's not the message he's trying to convey. But if you do feel a call to drastically change your life, you feel like the Holy Spirit's giving you a life moving forward, a, uh, a space to go and move elsewhere, to sell all that you have to proclaim the good news, we will encourage you in that, but that has to be Holy Spirit driven. So at this point in time, what is going on in the life of Jesus as he's looking at this large crowd, as he's challenging the way that they're living? We know previously in the book of Luke, Jesus has called his 12 disciples. He has walked up to them. He says, come and follow me. And he invites them into his whole life. They witness how he interacts with all these people. He wit they witness how he teaches, how he has compassion, how he heals people. Jesus trained and equipped these disciples for a time. And then they were sent out to do what they were just trained in. They were sent out to be Christ-like in the world. In Luke 9, Jesus sends out his disciples, the 12 disciples, and he gives them the authority to heal the sick, to drive out demons, and to proclaim the kingdom of God. As a result of these 12 disciples not knowing exactly what they are doing, 
These disciples went all in. As a result, people came to know who Jesus was. New life was found in people that have never known Jesus before. The disciples sowed the seeds. The Holy Spirit grew the crop, which represented deeply rooted faith in new believers. And then later on, one chapter later, in Luke 10, Jesus has more disciples. This time, Jesus sends out 72 disciples. And after going all in for Jesus, doing what Jesus said, doing what they were trained to do, they returned back with joy. And they even claimed to Jesus, even the demons submit to your name. Now here we are in Luke 14. Jesus is looking at this crowd. Some of these people will be his disciples. Some people will, will want to follow him to go all in. Do you think that Jesus will equip and train these people? Or do you think that these, um, you think disciples will equip and train these people? And these new believers will receive new faith and just sit in their homes and live a comfortable life for the rest of their lives. At this time, Jesus' true identity is finally being told to the world. Salvation has come to humankind in the form of Jesus Christ, and he sends his disciples out to go and bring the good news to people that have never heard it before. Jesus, when looking at this crowd, is going to send out people that want to go all in for him. He's going to send them out to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And Jesus wasn't going to be there forever to lead the charge in physical form. It was up to the church. It was the church's role to make Jesus known in the world. Today, it's still the church's role to make Jesus known in the world. And there's some people in this room that will feel the call to go out of Grand Rapids, out of Michigan, to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. But for most of us, we are going to stick around Grand Rapids, Michigan, a beautiful place. But in Grand Rapids, how will Jesus Christ be known? There's not 100% of people who follow Jesus in Grand Rapids. I think we know this. So who is going to proclaim the good news to these people? And if you're thinking right now about somebody else, you're thinking about the wrong person. If you're a follower of Jesus, he asks you to go all in. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, they need to hear about Jesus. And maybe a lot of these people have heard scripture passages. They, they know the whole story of Jesus dying on the cross, being raised to life. But yet they haven't heard those words from your lips. They haven't heard those words from somebody who deeply cares about them, somebody who they respect. Maybe bringing some of these people into a church building wouldn't be what they need. They need to hear about Jesus from you outside of these walls. What they need is a friend, a brother or sister. <clears throat> Excuse me. A friend, brother, sister to sit across from them at a table with a cup of coffee telling them that Jesus loves them. Telling them that Jesus has changed your whole life. That you see this world totally different than you did before Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus asks every one of his disciples to pick up their cross and follow him. And following Jesus is extremely difficult. Yet 
if the work is put in, you will be amazed at how much God can do through your life. When the disciples returned from being sent out by Jesus, they returned with great joy because they saw non-believers receive new life, a whole new purpose in life. They saw people who desperately needed to know that God loves them receive faith in Jesus. That is what brought them joy. So what's on the other side of becoming a faithful follower of Jesus? Not only is there new life for people that we care about, but there is a fountain of joy. Do you want more joy in your life? Be all in, be the bride of Christ, faithfully serving Jesus in all that you do. And when you fall down, because we will fall down, this church, fifth church, will help you get back on your feet. Jesus ends his teaching with some comments about salt. He says this in verse 34. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The reality is there are people who are Christians in this world, people that say they believe in Jesus, yet God is not doing anything through their lives. They have lost their zest. They have lost their flavor. And of course, God can change that circumstance. God can rekindle their faith and use them to do great things in this world. This is not an eternal state, yet it is the reality for many people that say they are Christians. And the Bible gives a word for this. The Bible calls this lukewarm faith. God is pretty clear in saying that it is better to be hot or cold than anywhere in the middle, than having lukewarm faith. And if you find yourself at this time slipping into complacency, slipping into a person that has lukewarm faith, are you doing anything about this? If you need help, if you need challenge in your life, who are people you can invite into your life to say, hey, let's pick up our crosses and walk through life together? Who can spur you on towards a Jesus-shaped life? We can't simply say yes to Jesus and go through the motions until the Lord brings us to glory. That's clearly not what Jesus is trying to get us to do. That's not what brings others closer to him. There are times when we need to be woken up. There are times when we need to be challenged so that we can continue the pursuit that Jesus calls us towards. Some of you may know my, my personal faith journey, um, but some of you don't. So to be honest, for a lot of my life, my walk as a Christian, I went through the motions. I was a lukewarm Christian. You would look at me and you would see a nice guy with a smile. You would see me literally in this church building. I grew up in this church, but I had lukewarm faith. I was salt that had no flavor. Um, and, and that kept going for a time. And, not, and now I have language to recognize what was going on in my life. How could I change? How could I pursue Jesus by going all in? And essentially, I, I recommitted my life to Christ through a small group men's Bible study my freshman year in college. And one thing that helped me go all in 
to, to turn the corner in my faith walk was when I invited challenge into my life. I was not being challenged. I didn't have essentially many people saying, Sam, you, you call yourself a Christian. What does that even mean? I don't, I don't see you pursuing Jesus anywhere in your life. Literally, I, I would not utter the name of Jesus outside of this building, which is not what God calls us to do. So I was 18 years old. I was in college. And I had the mindset that essentially I, I could do whatever I want. And that meant I could look at whatever I want, which created unhealthy views of relationships, unhealthy views of women. And this small group men's Bible study invited challenge into my life. I had about 10 guys holding me accountable every single week saying, you need to be a better follower of Jesus. What are your eyes looking at? We would literally show up to this dorm room in Phelps Hall and we would share, how did you do this week? What were your eyes looking at? Were you being a faithful follower of Jesus? And that challenge helped me become a person who is, is willing to say, I love Jesus, helped me become a better disciple of Jesus. And of course, I'm not a perfect Christian by any means, but challenge helped me. And I continued to invite challenge into my life through a few different situations. I, on, on Tuesday mornings, I meet with uh, a small group of other, other faithful uh, Jesus followers, uh, a group of friends, and we spend time reading scripture. We talk about our lives, and when we need to ask for help, we do. Can you help me in this way? We help each other be better husbands, better father, fathers, better followers of Jesus. And there's accountability there and there's challenge there that helps me not slip into complacency. So since that time, about 10 years ago, of recommitting my life to Christ, I would say that there are times when my cross still sits on the floor, when my cross still collects dust, but I would say I'm better than who I was before. I would say that Jesus has, has changed my life when I, when I opened up my heart to him, when I started to say, I want to live my whole life for you. So Fifth Church, everybody listening in this room, joining us online, are you going all in right now? And what changes can you make in your life? What people can you invite into your situation to help you do that? Does your love for Jesus look different than the love you have for anybody else in your life? If the cross you should be carrying has been laying on the floor collecting dust for a while, now is the time to pick it up. Now is the time to say, Jesus, I'm back. Here we go. Jesus is calling us to put in the work, not because we must, but because we get to. And be reminded that as you walk in this covenant with Christ, he is preparing an eternal destination for you. He is preparing a room for you. So as you go in and put in the hard work, know that your labor is not in vain. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Help us align our lives with what you teach us. Help us be your disciples, not afraid of what others will say about us when they know that we are your followers, when they know that we are your disciples. Help us invite others into our lives that will deepen our faith. We love you 
And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.